Hi everyone and welcome to Beer and Bants. My name's Chris and as usual we'll go straight into the tried and tested which this one is called Shipyard which is an American IPA. Um, it's not really an American IPA, it's actually more of a, uh, I'd say more of a traditional English ale with a bit of a fruity twist. It's probably the best way to describe it, or at least that's my uh, recollection of it. Uh, now this is 5% and I believe, yep, yeah, it's brewed by Carlsberg Marsden's Brewing Company. Um, which I'm not entirely sure whether this one's brewed in Wolverhampton or uh, Burton, is it Burton, where Marsden's from originally. Uh, either way, it's brewed somewhere in the Midlands. Uh, but yeah, <clears throat> if you haven't had Shipyard before, uh, it's quite a light golden colour, a little bit of. Fruitiness on the uh, aroma, and I'm just going to go straight in for a swig, and we'll work from there. Okay, so it's I would kind of class it as um, quite a strong biting IPA combined. With Elvis juice is probably the best way I can describe the actual flavour overall. You have got like you know, I say you get that initial, the, the typical stereotypical IPA fashion. So you get a bit of smoothness when you get a lot of bitterness and bite at the end. However, at the start of it, you do pick up those little fruity tones, picking up slightly grapefruity along those lines. And so that's what I said the uh, Elvis juice. Let's have a look what it says on the bottle. So from the heart of Portland, Maine, a coastal city. For, famed for its shipbuilding, world trade and discovery, our founder Fred put everything on the line to realise his dream, to make refreshing, full flavour, easy drinking beer for all. With grapefruit notes at its core and delicate bitterness in taste, this deep golden coloured beer is refreshing with every sip. Now, I don't know if it's necessarily refreshing. Um, I think it's a... Not massively complex, but there is quite a lot of bitterness going on. So if you're not really into your like heavy hitting beers, um, it might not be one for you. Personally, I think it's it's enjoyable. I can have probably about one. At that point, I'm like, okay, that's my fill on, then I'd move on to something else. Um, but yeah, I can't really... I don't think I'm missing anything else. Bear with me one second. Yeah, so you get that you know, slight citrusy, fruity flavour at the start, and then it comes with that like I, traditional IPA afterbite. There's literally nothing else I can really say about that, to be honest. Um, but yeah, Shipyard, most people in the UK would have had it. If you haven't tried it, it's worth a blast. I don't think you've lost anything by you know, opening your horizons at all. It's just not necessarily one that you would scream and say, oh yeah, they got that on draft. It's one of those. Uh, right, uh, apologies for the slight delay. Um, I actually did have a guest uh, lined up for this episode. However, because I planned so well, or not at all, um, I'd actually forgotten that I had booked in to give blood um, at the same day that I was supposed to be doing a podcast. So what we were actually doing was... Um, I'm trying to still arrange the same guests to join uh, the next episode of the podcast, uh, just in a negotiation then for availability. Uh, but yeah, so uh, I actually went and gave blood for the first time ever. Now, 
obviously there's lots of people in the UK that give blood and donate their time and also around the world as well uh, it's something that I personally have wanted to do for the last couple of years ever since obviously everything that happened with my nephew a lot of people already know what's going on I'm not going to you know dwell on that too much um, but giving blood is actually something that was quite important to me and I felt that I actually needed to give back um, like to society really and the one thing that's always kind of made it a little bit more awkward although I wanted to give blood is I'm absolutely terrified of needles so I think a lot of when I went there for the first time so I went to the you know the donation clinic um there's a you have to drink some water make sure you're hydrated read through all the safety guides and everything like that you have you wait for about 20 minutes half an hour before you even get seen by a nurse who will check your um iron levels inside your blood ask you questions about your questionnaire make sure you're actually you know suitable to donate um and then they put you to the side and then they stick you in a chair hook you all up and uh, essentially you give blood for about 10 minutes now for me the anticipation of actually building myself up to give blood so basically for about the hour beforehand i was absolutely crapping myself like i'm not even pretending like it was so bad i built it up so much in my head like the anxiety um you know and the stress of it all um it just i don't know but there was so much pressure on for me to to do that that I placed on myself now there was another lady that was there and she was also terrified of needles and you know she, she was like virtually crying the whole way through um but again I don't think it's actually for the procedure I think it was actually just the the build-up of the anxiety in the head now once we actually got to the stage where the donations were actually happening uh, so they said the hook you up there's a machine that goes you have to do these like silly little like weird kind of bum exercises and you know clenching your fist and things like that. It's all about you know, keeping the blood circulation going. Um, you know, just different different tricks to make sure that you're okay and obviously, you know, fill up the donation bag faster. Um, and then, yeah, once you've finished, you have to hold uh, your arm for a few minutes so obviously, you know, stem the bleeding and then you go and sit down, have a drink, have some biscuits, something to eat, anything like that. Um and I thought it was quite nice because actually you end up like sort of chatting to the other donors. That's why I knew about the one lady who was also scared of needles because she came at the same time as me and we were talking for the 15 minutes we had to wake, wait. And then there was about another like five, six people that we were just randomly talking to. And actually, I've got to be honest, apart from the actual build-up, which was all in my own head, um, I'm really glad I did it. And I, I actually thought it was a far nicer experience than I expected it to be. Um... One thing I did kind of didn't realise that happened as well is once you've obviously donated, because it's the first time I donated, they send you what your blood type is. So I already knew my blood type anyway, but they sent it through and confirmed it. So my mother hadn't been lying to me. Uh, <laughs> but um, also with your donation, you actually get to see where it's gone. So uh, I did my donation obviously in the West Midlands. Uh, my blood actually ended up um, being used in Bristol. Um, so hopefully that went in towards uh, saving somebody's life or at least you know where it was actually required and where it needed to be so um, it's not very often I kind of talk about this kind of stuff because I am well I talk a lot I suppose I don't really talk a lot about my private life so to speak so yeah I actually thought it was quite important to share um, my experience with uh, giving blood 
it's one of those ones where it's an error of your time. Um, necessarily, it's not really going to do much. I literally uh, arranged mine so 20 minutes after I finished work, it was literally a five minute walk from my office building. <clears throat> Walked down, got set up, and basically I was home about an hour and 20 minutes after what I would normally be. You know, so not an inconvenience to anybody, and I've, I've helped somebody. And I think um, I think more people should kind of look at those things, especially if you're younger, because um, something that gets used a lot in the fight against cancer and things is platelets. Now, it was something that my sister went and had a look at, but apparently if you, they won't accept you if you're over 30. They won't accept new donors. So if you're under 30 and actually you're, you're uh, considering this, I think you should actually like look at that to see if there's any people you can help. Um, I think it's all personal choice you know obviously there's uh, religious reasons there's ethical reasons why people might not want to do it and that is completely fine there's no pressure on anybody actually though if you're fully healthy fighting and fit don't mind spending an hour and a half just to potentially save someone's life I think it's uh, possibly something that's going to balance out in good karma shall we say uh, whether you're into that type of stuff or not but anyway that's my uh chat about giving blood what i'm going to do is going to quickly finish off the shipyard and then we'll move on to the peter folk for the episode so i had to kind of rearrange my order uh last minute because i thought this was an international beer and it wasn't so i had a choice i had to drop one and replace another one um so this beer is called utopian and it is a munich dunkel lager Dunkiel, something like that. I don't know. Uh, uh, Munich Dunkel is brewed with British dark malts using a traditional double decoction mash to tease out a bouquet of caramelised nuts and bread crust. Slow, low temperature formation, uh, fermentation and long, cold lagering results in a dark amber beer, nutty, rich, full-bodied, unfiltered and beautifully balanced brewed with all british ingredients and um, where is it so utopian brewing uh limited unit for, for blah, blah, blah. devon okay so bow in devon right okay so i've never had a munich dunkel lager before but it seemed intriguing um on the look of it the one thing i will say it is quite a dark look now it's not like the um you get kind of some like lagers which are like very very dark so uh budweiser budvar the traditional kind of pilsner style one that kind of is the, the light one there's a dark one which is like it's borderline black and the color you know it's very kind of it's a lager kind of style effect of the point of guinness is probably the best way to describe it color wise now it's kind of this is midway in between so it's more it look more of an amber ale look to it now that's a strange spell on the aroma um Yes, probably the caramelisation and that nutty smell. I'm not entirely sure I'm going to be a fan of this straight from the off, just because my association with other beers have had a very similar smell. But there's obviously only one way to find out, so if you bear with me one moment. Okay. Well, there's a very intense caramel flavour. Um... It is strange because, if anything, there's kind of like a caramel sweetness to start off with, and then it turns into a caramel bitterness afterwards. Um, 
Yeah, kind of slight, or well, I'm assuming is a nutty flavour because I've never had, known actually what nuts taste like because I am allergic to them. Um, but it is kind of, um, I don't know, maybe it's kind of slight earthy texture to it. Um, but yeah, there's definitely some another note there. Bear with me a moment, I'll try another one again. Yeah, oh, I mean, it's overpairing with the caramel. Um, yeah, not really much else I can get. There's a, a bit you can pick up at the back of your nose after you kind of swallowed it, a bit of the aftertaste. That's really about it. Um, I don't know if it's a particular style that will take on. Uh, it's probably much more of a winter beer rather than when it's absolutely boiling as it is at the moment. Um... Yeah, there's not really a lot I can tell you about that, other than, yeah, I've tried it, and we'll probably swiftly move on. So, yeah, um, as I have mentioned, we are in the middle of a uh, heat wave at the moment in the UK, and temperatures hitting like you know, the 30s, which for most countries, again, doesn't really make a lot of difference. For our country, it makes a huge amount of difference, because the winters are quite cold. We have a lot of insulation in the buildings, so when it gets warm... The heat's got absolutely nowhere to go, and we all melt. Uh, and that's pretty much the way we go now for about the next four months. So it's either this or absolutely throwing it down in rain. Welcome to the UK. Um, <laughs> but what on a slightly more uh, nice note, I have obviously spoken about Ted Lasso previously. Um, I have kind of binge-watched the last series now. So if anybody hasn't... Um, watched Ted Lasso since I spoke about it previously. It's an American football coach who kind of gets put in for charge of a, you know, fantasy Premier League football team. That's about all the background I'm going to give you. It's quite funny. It's quite a nice setup. I reviewed the uh, first two seasons beforehand. Very, very good. Now, there was always going to be a thing about this was going to be the last series. So it was only ever designed to be a three-season TV show. Now... They could have kind of done it one of two ways. Now, this has won a lot of awards. It's got a lot of popularity. There's a lot of, you know, it's got its own very strong um, fan base solely based on the show as well. Um, for me, what I, I think was quite clever was they kind of, for the first half of the season three, they've kind of focused on the theatrical part of football and getting kind of sucked into hype of certain players and that very much best way to describe it is probably football transfer deadline day that kind of hype and you know somebody mentions a player and you're like, ooh excited because it's a certain so and so whether they're any good for your team or not is a different story but you know it's that hype around the kind of players and they've got that kind of that kind of focus around the TV show However, moving on from that point, the latter half of it, there's a lot more of hard-hitting subjects, um, embellishing uh, other characters' backgrounds. So there's characters that have actually been there throughout the TV show and you actually don't know much about them, but that kind of comes to the forefront. Um, obviously, you've got different competitions throughout it as well. There's, a, there's so many complexities that are basically jam-packed into this 12-episode season. It's absolutely phenomenal. And <clears throat> I was saying this to my wife after we finished watching it. I was like, Ted Lasso has to be either in my top five 
TV shows of all time, or it is the top TV show of all time. That's how much I genuinely rate this series. It's it's an absolutely fantastic uh, setup. I think the premise was brilliant. I think the characters and the actors that they got to portray the people was perfect. And I love the fact that they just didn't focus on big names. They focused on getting the right people to portray the characters that they wanted. Uh, so you've got Anthony Stewart here, uh, Hannah Waddingham, um, you know, lots of other featured uh, people who kind of come into it. But there's also a lot of people who have just become solely famous because of like Ted Lasso and its popularity from it. It's a fantastic series, and I thought it was so, so well done. Um, and Yes, there's potential for spin-offs if they wanted to go down that route. Whether there will or not, I don't know, because the problem is with Yale for a spin-off, especially something that's been so well done, you then kind of have, fall into that area where there's a potential for it to just ruin the legacy of what's happened. So there's two potential potential spin-offs they could kind of do. I'm not going to go into them um, at the moment because you know I know a lot of people still haven't watched it. But yeah, if you can find yourself, you know, an Apple TV three month free trial or anything like that, just get it because you'll start watching it and you'll end up binge watching the whole um, TV show because it's absolutely fantastic and it's well worth every penny. If not, I say it's about seven pound for a month. Do it, you will not regret it. It's fantastic, absolutely amazing series, uh, and yeah. It's a shame that it's ended, but I like the way that they did it. So, and that's probably the best way that I can talk about that. And yeah, I don't want to give too many any spoilers away because I want people to actually watch it and enjoy it. And that's how much I really embrace it. I think it's a fantastic series, uh, as I've said a lot. So, but yeah, what we'll do now is I'll quickly finish off this Munich Dunkel Lager if I have to. And then what we'll do is we will move on to the Around the World. So the Around the World for this episode is from Trogues Independent Brewery. And it's called Haze Charmer, which is a dry hopped hazy pale ale. Now this one is from Drug Brewery, which is brewed and bottled in Hershey Park Drive, Hershey, Pennsylvania. Uh, so obviously you've got all the warnings on there. The... The front cover kind of looks a bit like, I don't know, if, maybe if it's like kind of fell out of a, uh, oh, what's it? it's kind of like a, like a bit of a Illuminati feel, crossed with a bit of hop, crossed with, um, you know, people who read fortunes, it's got that kind of vibe on the label, I do quite like it, um, but it's 5%, oh, I didn't tell you the last, how much the percentage was for the uh, Munich Dunkel. Munich Dunkel was 5.2%. Tasted a lot stronger, to be fair. Uh, this one is hazy golden colour. Um, it's got Citra, Eldorado, Mosaic and Lotus hops in it. And Haze Charmer emerges from a soft swirling cloud of oats and unmalted wheat. Vigorous dry hopping adds a second phase of haze, propping up the oils of Citra and Eldorado hops. Each sip delivers a notes of... Juicy pineapple, fresh grapefruit, and a candied peach balanced by a, a hint of white pine and low bitterness. Well, it sounds like there's a, a lot going on in there. Now, this one is the lightest uh, beer I've had so far. It's a bit of the, probably the haziest as well. 
that's interesting on the nose. I wonder if that is because the glass has been tainted by the beer beforehand or not. I'm going to have a swig and see what happens. Oh, well, that's, there's a lot going on in there. Okay, so this one, it looks like it's going to be quite inviting. I'd say a lot of the flavors, flavors are kind of smashing together. So you have like, you know, light fruitiness of the like, common pineapple smacked with like, you know, a bitterness from a harp straight away. Not so much on the lingering of the aftertaste. Got a bit more of a refreshing, lighter aftertaste. But as you're actually drinking it, there is a lot of uh, complexity. I'm going to have to go back in again just to try and make sense of it, if I'm honest. Okay, so yeah, you're definitely getting that very light fruity undone. It is kind of very pineapple. Maybe it's combining with that little bit of pine as well, but it's... There is a sweetness to it as well. However, on the, on the same at the same point, on the same time, you're also having a bitterness kind of attack as well. Don't know if that's on like the mosaic or you know, the Eldorado or what, but there's yeah, it's as the same time as it as well, rather than coming in stages. It is strangely confusing and strangely Moorish all at the same time. Um, I'm gonna have to pour a little bit more. Just because of the, I'm trying to try and analyse as much as I can, but it, because there's so much going on, I'm having to take multiple um, swigs of it. Yeah, it's just a, it's a flavour explosion, but in a, in a smooth, pleasant way as well. Um, it's really strange to describe, if I'm honest. Um, it's very pleasant. It's very more, so I would happily have another one. Um, but yeah, it's it's a haze charmer. I mean, it is a bit of a charmer, to be fair. Um, there's not really much else I can say apart from that it is quite confusing. But it's it's definitely if you if you have seen it on, in a bottle or something somewhere, definitely uh, grab one because I think you'll be pleasantly surprised with it. Right, as usual, I tend to kind of have a bit of a chat about sport. So I've taken up uh, cricket recently. Been quite enjoying that. Um, <clears throat> It's hard on it looks, <laughs> especially like, you know, three and a half hours of uh, fielding in the baking sunshine, running around a lot, can take it out of you a little bit, but I am actually enjoying it, it's been, it's been quite pleasant and friendly. Um, I've also uh, started like cricket training with my son, so we go to what's called All-Stars, so they have All-Stars, Dynamos, and then you, you start playing the game with like the hard balls after that. <clears throat> Yeah, overall, it's been a, quite a pleasant uh, take on the money um, sporting venture. Don't get me wrong, it's stupidly expensive. Everything costs an absolute fortune. But overall, actually, enjoyment level, I can't really complain. Uh, well, I'm starting to get myself, like, branch out. So I've got my uh, the team that I play for. But then I've got a couple of like, exhibitions that are coming up. So one from work, one from my rugby club as well. Um, it's all, like, you know... It's kind of fun and all-inclusive as well. But just broaden your horizons. I, th I do like uh, trying new things and put myself out of my comfort zone. So it has been quite good. Uh, but on the touching on the uh, subject of rugby, um, unfortunately we have had the uh, confirmation that 
London Irish are now in administration, which means for in one single season, that is the third Premiership team uh, to essentially be eradicated uh, from the Gallagher Premiership. Now, the Gallagher Premiership was obviously hoping to expand. I've said before, I, I don't believe that the uh, model suited trying to copy the French game and throw money at it. If anything, we need to nurture our own players, uh, especially the grassroots, which I think has been massively neglected for about the last 10 years or so now. Um, I think the current people at the moment in charge of the RFU need to have a look, uh, a long, hard look about what they're actually doing to the game. Um it's getting to the point where it's actually quite sad. Uh, London Irish are actually being, believe it or not, are supposed to be in talks with the United Rugby Championship. So that's like the Scottish, Irish, um, Italians and South Africans uh, about possibly joining them because there is a pending takeover from an American owner as well. Uh, but the uh, RFU have said that they will not take part in any of the English competitions next year so it's all going to be a view whatever happens is going to be a view to the following year because they haven't been paying wages on time or you know no confirmation that actually there was enough money in the club to keep it going I think it's a, a sorry state for sport at the moment I think with a lot of it is still <clears throat> a legacy of Covid I suppose you know a lot of people are still struggling from that long period where they couldn't get spectators they couldn't get people to watch the games you know, it was such a hard period. And I think we're going to be feeling this legacy now for probably the remainder of the decade, if I'm completely honest. Um, we've got also the economic factors that are going on as well. So obviously costs of living are going through the roof. Uh, interest rates are through the roof. Um, I don't know at the moment. I think it's just, I think it's a bit of a bleak time for sport. And I mean, I know a lot of people are like, oh yeah, football, but... Football was the one that probably started the whole, you know, let's throw loads of money at things and see, and yeah, buy whoever we want. That bubble's got to burst eventually because you got people who were, was it uh, Kareem Benzema signed for something like £284 million contract, uh, tax free for three years in Saudi Arabia? Uh, people are getting like, you know, £600,000 a week contract. How is that sustainable? Look at your, the tickets, the ticket prices, your season ticket prices, your sponsorships. That is not a sustainable amount of money. And, you know, I read earlier that, you know, Man City had won, because they've obviously won the treble this year. Um, and since Pep Guardiola has taken over, the net spend is £667 million, which is a absolutely astronomical, stupid figure. But that's net. And the best part about it is, they were third place. Chelsea and Man United have spent even more. And you're like, you've got clubs like Wolves that have spent, in that time, have also spent like 332 million. You're like, these aren't, you know, that's not a club that's near the top of the table. This is like mid-table fodder. It's absolutely like ridiculous, these figures, like the figures that people are spending. And you're like, well, there's no way on earth that that can ever be sustainable. Um... So yeah, at the moment I'm kind of focusing a bit more, probably not so much on the uh, big massive glittering lights of uh, sports shows. I'm actually focusing a bit more on like grassroots and actually watching the film, like you know, 
local teams, um, literally, you know, not professionals, people just go and have a, a laugh and enjoy the weekends and things like that. Because there's a lot less pressure on you, there's a lot less money, and also you can see where you're spending like, you know, your money for your beer, you can at least see where it's actually benefiting, where it's helping. Now, I think that's actually the way, the way forward. I think that's what we actually need to do, rather than, you know, keep on bigging up these stupid, like, you know, multi-millionaires just for, you know, wearing a stupid haircut or a particular strip. You know, it's, it can't be the right way of doing things. But again, I'm off on a rant. Um... Ultimately, the one thing that I do find sad is another load of people. So, players, coaches, ground staff, you know, people on the fringes, recruitment, social media, everything like that. There's so many people, again, in these tough times, I've just lost their job. And for, you know, what it's worth, I really send my condolences and I hope it all works out for, you know, everybody else. And don't worry about staying in uh, England if the RF you aren't going to support you. Go to the likes of uh, France, Japan. Australia, New Zealand, go anywhere that's actually going to value your worth and actually get you paid rather than, you know, sit there with a never dangling carrot. Because the RFU only ever sticks to its old boys anyway. So, but yeah, that's enough on that. I'm going to drink my Hay Sharma quite pleasantly. And then we're going to move on to the wild card for this episode. Now, I'm not going to lie, I am concerned about this one. So, this one is a collaboration between Brewdog and Icebreaker, and it's called Cold Alliance, except it's hot. And that is basically because it's a West Coast IPA with chilli. Now, West Coast IPAs, at the best of times, can be very hit and miss. So, with chilli, I'm not expecting this to be pleasant in the slightest. But, you know, I will sample it so you don't have to. So, very light golden on colour. Uh, slight haze to it. Smell is quite nice. No, but let's face it, the smell is only a little bit. It's the taste that we need to know. Oh, my days. That actually wouldn't have been too bad a beer if you hadn't got that... Oh, the aftertaste of the chilli coming through your, the back of your nose. And you have got the heat from it as well. Um... Yeah, I'm, I, there's not really a lot I can say to that. Um, the the flavour of the beer is being lost because of the flavour of the chilli. Uh, the heat of it is just ruining the balance. Obviously, it was done for that type of thing. It's done as an exhibition, and you know that's the main reason why I bought it as well. However, um, I can't say that's an experiment that's worked for me. Um, Oh, no, the worst, no more the worse it gets. Right, I think that's enough on that one. Uh, right, so it comes to that time. Um, I wonder what's going to the bottom. So in fourth place, Cold Alliance, except it's hot. Uh, can't actually tell you what the uh, complexity of that beer is because it's all completely ruined with chilli. Uh, bit of a shame, really. In third place, we've got the Munich Dunkel Lager by Utopian. Um, very caramelly. Bit confused, doesn't really know what it, what it wants to be. Much more suited to the winter, definitely. Uh, straight from the off, that's the best way to go. Second place, we're going to go Shipyard. Nice and simple, you know what you're getting. Not necessarily the best beer in the world, but I've had far worse just on this table. 
Uh, and in first place is Haze Charmer, which was very, very pleasant. Um, I'll fully recommend that. So if you haven't tried it before, have a look out, see if you can get it, because that was very, very good. Right. Thank you very much for paying attention to me again, people, and for tuning in. Um, again, as I said before, I am trying to get that uh, guest I had lined up for this episode, but you know, hopefully my organisation skills will be a little bit better for the next episode. Um, but yeah, thank you very much for listening. Again, please make sure you send in your recommendations. Uh, I need to go and get a recommendation, actually, because somebody sent me one in, so I'm going to be getting, hopefully get that on the next episode as well. Yeah, but thank you very much for your time. Stay safe, and I'll speak to you soon. Goodbye.